Welcome to Defense Unicorns, a podcast for mission-focused innovators. We educate, inform, and provide mission heroes with DevSecOps, cybersecurity, and organizational transformation stories from the world's leading problem solvers. I'm your host, Rob Slaughter, and we're excited for you to join us on this journey. Welcome back to the show. On today's episode, we have the Space Forces Captain, Jake Singleton. Jake, welcome. Thanks, Ron. I'm so excited to be here. And Jake's here to talk to us a little bit about insubordination, which is interesting coming from an active duty Air Force officer. So Jake, can you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, a little about myself. So active duty, the Space Force, been about seven years in the Air Force and everything I did had to do with space technology and development. So when they separated that mission, it made sense for me to move. I don't know quite what a, an Air Force would look like without space in it, but I'm really excited to be a part of the Space Force and to be a part of an organization that's new and are asking these questions of how should we do this and being able to help answer those questions. So background engineer, found a lot of my passions are in how we do business and trying to change and transform that. I'm a family guy, uh, father of four and we're currently in Colorado Springs serving in the air uh, the space force. So that's me. Awesome. Now, now this definitely isn't your first rodeo in terms of innovation. So uh, do you mind sharing for us some of the innovative efforts that you've worked on over the years? Yeah. It's an exciting word for a lot of people. For me, innovation is, you know, it's not speed. It's not, you know, any particular program. It's doing something different to remain relevant as an organization. And so, you know, I think when we use the term innovation, that's going to constantly be referring to different things. For me, over the last, you know, roughly five plus years, it's been focusing on how does the Air Force and Space Force do business differently to ensure we're, re we're relevant in this technology development landscape where more and more technologies are coming independent of government requirements and funding. So how do we take advantage of some of these dual use technologies and be that customer of choice for the market? So that's been accelerated programs. You know, how do we look at industry best practices where uh, we're looking at emerging companies getting investment ready? How do we work with those companies and explore the, the military utility of the, the technologies they're developing? Complementary to those accelerator programs, it's been pitch days, which is, you know, now we're working with these companies. We've identified that, that they want to work with us. They can revalue our mission. How do we work with them efficiently through our contracting uh, and funding processes so that they want to work with us and they remain relevant in that commercial market? So rapid, you know, contracting, prototyping, things like that. And then I'd say the third piece of that is scaling these accelerators and pitch days to reaching a global marketplace. So how do we in step with our allies and friendly nations do that together where our focus and attention is on that international marketplace. So 2020, we had the opportunity to really create and lead the first international pitch day where we were able to take Space Force dollars, spend it through UK procurement authorities on foreign space startups to achieve, you know, technology goals for shared mission needs. That was exhilarating, but it came with a lot of challenges. So accelerators, pitch days, international collaboration on that innovation front is really where I've been involved for the last several years. So all of that sounds very amazing and, and, and very mature to be quite honest across the ecosystem, but, but I'm sure it didn't start off that way. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about some of your origin stories of getting some of these programs launched, you know, starting with the first one, which I, I believe is the initial accelerator programs. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so it actually starts with you, Rob, right? You're a mentor and, and to me that brought me into this world and understanding this problem. So I was a young Lieutenant in, at AFRL in the research, uh, space vehicles directorate. And we had a, a Colonel there that was willing and, and excited to let these young officers kind of embrace these challenges and pilot these programs. And, and the, the challenge was exactly that I described first it is how do we engage and be a part of these accelerator programs? So, yeah, I remember, you know, first meeting you and, and a couple others and getting a list of terms, 
you know, in books to read, you know, the lead startup and, and there was terms like angels and, and private capital and things like that, that I just started learning about because I was a, an engineer and not a, a business guy or an entrepreneur, but I started learning about these problems. And in the beginning, there were a lot of challenges as I was, you know, learning these things and trying to mature and push a pilot program. And the first pilot that we ran, it was uh, an accelerator program you know, led by our friend, Ellen, Lightspeed Innovations out of San Diego. They were running, they had run a couple cohorts before and they were going to be running this program. So we were able to kind of connect in and say, you know, while you're running your, your programming, we're going to bring in some military mentors. So to work with the companies and explore those dual use opportunities. And it was a struggle in the beginning, not to mention that Rob, you had to go deploy, you know, just before it was getting started. And so here I was now by myself thinking, okay, Rob's gone. We, I got to keep this moving. And I had the support of, you know, of this Colonel leading the directorate there, but I didn't really have any support from the local community of engineers, scientists, other officers. And. Uh, a, a couple of thoughts that come to mind is I, I remember the, the vulnerable feelings of trying to champion these ideas when the feedback coming from people that were a thousand times smarter than me was things like, we've tried this, there's no value there, not interested. In one case, sitting in, a, in an office with one of these engineers, I was told, quote, oh, that's a stupid idea and I want nothing to do with it. On another occasion, when I got to the point, because I was working on another full-time program in the, in the Center for Rapid Innovation, I was like, you know, I, I need some help. And so the girl here and said, you know, yeah, go grab a couple more bodies. And so I was around trying to create some alliances and say, hey, I've got this really exciting accelerator program. You want to come work it with me? And it was a struggle to find alliances and support there. And in another, in one occasion, one of these guys said, um, not interested because the, the civilian PM that he was working for told him to quote, stay away from the accelerator. You don't want anything to do with it. And so I felt like I was in this environment where there was no interest and no support at all. And people were told that's kind of the untouchable. You don't want to be involved with that. You know, it'll reflect poorly upon you. And. That for me was a tremendous challenge to, to persevere and push this idea that I was growing more and more excited about, that I was becoming passionate about, that I felt like it was important. And it was, it was like that for, I think, a good year before we were able to start picking up, you know, the right-minded people and we were able to start seeing some successes and support and stuff like that. Yeah, that, that's awesome. The, uh, so just for clarity's perspective. So during that time that you were launching the, the DOD's first accelerator program, you had another full-time job. Is that correct? Yeah, this was an additional duty, extra work. It, it was awkward and uncomfortable sometimes because I had another boss that I was reporting to, you know, functionally for these programs, but I was kind of doing this other accelerator thing, you know, for the director. So I was a program manager for the, the Center for Rapid Innovation, which is a small sliver of AFRL that really the res deal with responsive technologies that they can kind of field inside of a year. So I was managing several programs with that role. In fact, took over from another deploying captain. And then I was juggling that with this accelerator program and that I was in reality, you know, more passionate, excited about. So it, it was a challenge and it wasn't that I got kind of dedicated all my time to go put towards this, you know, experiment. Yeah. So, so when you say uncomfortable experiences that that could probably mean a lot, are, are you saying just, you don't like public speaking or are you saying that you got in trouble? Like, what did, what did you mean by that? So the majority of these uncomfortable experiences was again, as a young, you know, with less experience is being told bad idea, no value, you know, waste my time and things like that. To me, that was uncomfortable. I think I was able to quickly become comfortable with, you know, talking to senior leaders, public speaking, had a lot of opportunities to do that. And I think that was really helpful. There were some experiences, you know, getting in trouble and I had to learn, it was kind of a process of self-discovery going through some of those. 
there was, there was one time where we had this article that was published based off of some of the work that we were doing that misrepresented the Air Force. And we got a phone call that came into the office and there was queries coming from the Secretary of the Air Force's office on what it was. Fortunately, all the questions were positive because it was in line with her, with the Secretary's agendas and priorities, but it was more, you know, we've, we need to be able to answer these questions to kind of getting out in front. But there was one colonel that did call and give a good counseling session and, you know, slap on the wrist, you're, you're in trouble, you can't do this. And I will say that I, I loved that experience. I will say as a young lieutenant, I, I was fairly safe, right? Because you can make mistakes like that. But, but I love that. that. That kind of excited me a little bit. And what I'll tell a lot of people, you know, peers and colleagues and stuff like that today, is that if you're not getting a good counseling session every six to eight months, then you're not pushing hard enough. However, you have to do it appropriately because if you're pushing people's buttons, stepping on toes, and you come off with any kind of personal agenda or arrogance, you will get destroyed, ostracized, alienated, pushed away, and you won't be successful. So for me, it's been push those boundaries, be willing to get the phone call to get a good counseling session. But in that moment, being able to share with those people who you are, what you're about and why you're doing that. And I found that as you do that and they realize that they're aligned with you, then you exit that counseling session with a new alliance. There was one time where I got a, still as a, a senior lieutenant now at this, at this point, still no, no credibility, but I got a good hour long counseling session from a Colonel who was uh, the JAG at Air Force Space Command. He was, he, he, he wasn't happy with how I came up with an, with a, an email to his staff where I suggested that they owed me a favor. And so he, <laughs> so he felt like he needed to, to call this lieutenant and have a conversation with him. Realizing he didn't have all the context. They, they all got it, right? Cause I had helped them out and they were all on this phone call. He just happened to be on the CC line as a, as a supervisor. But by the end of that phone call, he was like, Jake, I love what you're doing. If you need anything, call me, reach out. And I thought, wow, man, I would never have that connection, that relationship with that 06 Jad had he not felt the need to counsel this lieutenant, right? If I had been doing everything line, been in lines, he would, I would have been talking to somebody else. So some of these uncomfortable challenges have been some of these experiences like that, where you are trying to push to a point where you are, you know, maybe getting counseled and then figuring out how to navigate through those experiences so that you come out successful with an ally rather than alienated with another saboteur that's, you know, going to make it a, their agenda to stop you in the future. Yeah. So to recap a little, your team was doing some things related to the accelerator program and, and the press picked up on it and, and published an article and the SECAF got wind of it and actually reached out to talk to you to, to actually congratulate you in some ways because they were excited about you, but a different 06 actually reached out to you to to reprimand you for the same thing? Yeah, so I, I mixed a couple of stories here. I, I will let me clarify. The SECAF did call Lieutenant Singleton. There's a lot of staff in between that were looking for answers based off of this media release that nobody knew about, right? So all of that was positive and favorable because they were asking because the SECAF was interested because, you know, it was one of her priorities and interests, right? There was a colonel that, you know, called very mad and frustrated and gave some, you know, laid down a lot of, you know, feedback there for us. Separately from that, there was, you know, another situation where the Air Force Space Command JAG, you know, had to give me a good hour-long counseling session because I was kind of pushing and stepping on some toes there as well. Oh, so, so do, would you describe it as, as, as breaking the rules or bending the rules or how would you describe the type of behavior that actually ultimately led to a lot of success. 
So when I, yeah, when I say insubordination, I will never be encouraging people to break laws or rules. However, <laughs> I do think that there is a, a lot of gray area that's surrounded by cultural norms, customs, processes that by breaking those or pushing through those, you can upset a lot of people. You can seem insubordinate and I'm all about breaking those, right? So one of the things that I absolutely hate in our military hierarchy, particularly in a acquisition organization that's more about business, you know, than dropping bombs, right? Is the communication chain of command. I, I absolutely hate it, right? If there is an 06 or let's start somebody that has the right answer that you need to talk to, I think you need to go talk to that person in the most direct channel as possible. When I get that email back that says, Lieutenant, my boss is very busy. I need you to send me this information first so I can determine whether or not it's important or not go to my boss. I, I just, I, I hate that stuff. I understand bosses are busy. And yeah, they, they can't be handling all this, right? But it's just a, a personal challenge of mine is that to get to the right person with the decision authority, they got to talk to 10 people first. And that happens all the time. You know, you got to pre-brief the pre-brief the pre-brief. You get all the feedback and polish it in. And in two or three months, you're going to brief the right person to be able to get feedback on progress of the program. I, I'll give you an example of the origin of the accelerator. When we were together, right? We had a plan. We were pressing forward really quickly and going ahead. And on a short schedule, we had an opportunity to run this pilot, it, you know, driven by somebody else's schedule. We were ready to go in January. And it was November, December at the time. And, you know, so our director, you know, sent out an email to a few different, there were other 06 SES people and said, hey, can you, guys check in on Rob and Jake's plan and give them some feedback. And we got this email back that said, hold up, not sure what this accelerator is. I recommend we all get together and talk about it before we go do anything. Oh, but by the way, I'm on leave for the next month and then TDY after that for two weeks and immediately saw the situation of, okay, we're going to miss our window of opportunity to run this pilot because we've got to line all these senior leader schedules, make sure that they're available. And the first opportunity is going to be in like six weeks. So what do we do? We went and ran the program without getting their feedback. We just piloted it anyways. And a couple months later, they came, you know, kind of like, oh, here's the results, right? And uh, that was, you know, again, communication, chain of command, got to pre-breathe and get inputs from everybody before you go do anything. We just realized that low risk, it's a pilot program, an experiment. We need to run it. We need to run it now, not in a year. And so we're going to go ahead and, you know, run it anyways. So yeah, communication chain of command, that's a challenge for me, but a good connection back into that origin story of just, just going. And I think that's another example. We didn't break any rules. Right. <laughs> you know, however, you know, somebody could perceive that as well, the Colonel said, get this person's feedback and we didn't, you know, we, we, or maybe we did later, but we didn't take that as a precursor. We went and charged a hint. Yeah. So don't, don't bring any laws, but feel, feel comfortable being bold and confident to push through norms when you can rub someone wrong or someone's toes, show them who you are and what you're about. And, and if it's aligned with them, they'll be supportive. I think that's what they want from us, right? Yep. So as you know, insubordination has a very, very, very negative context in the military because the military is actually predicated on, on quite the opposite. How do you think those two things can coexist? Yeah, that's a great question. So when I think of the, the risks and challenges of insubordination, I think, you know, within a military context, I think of the operators on the ground that need a leader to make a decision and they need people to, to execute and to follow, not to say, Hey, I think that's a dumb idea, or I've got a better idea because people can die. Right? So there's an appreciation for leadership structure and decisions. However, I would say that 
in a defense acquisitions organization that this is a different environment. And if we keep, keep the same hierarchy, we risk more, which is being irrelevant with the technology that we're trying to produce, right? For those operators on the ground. So I think that we need to have a organization that encourages this dissent when done effectively. So again, I don't think this is the Captain Singleton idea. I think that our leadership are asking for this. General Brown has said, persevere through no, through the five no's, right? You know, you're going to be told no, and you need to push, 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 right? That, that is uncomfortable, uh, persevering through no. But then you've got someone like Lieutenant General Gutline, new space systems commander, comes in. And first thing he says to his, you know, command is make me tackle you from behind. I love it. And I get it. I think some people are like, well, what does that mean? I don't want the general to tackle me. Right. But having been tackled a few times, I can appreciate that. And, and I've told General Gutline, I said, sir, it's a goal of mine at, uh, at SSC on here is to get tackled from behind by you. Right. So I think they're asking for it. I think that we need to be willing to dissent, defy, but in a principled way, you have to do it effectively, right? We don't want people running around, you know, not doing their jobs and, you know, just telling people you know, this is wrong, but we want people to be able to challenge the status quo, why we do things and to be willing to, to push new pathways and new boundaries so that our organizations continue to be relevant in the future. In fact, I, I, I recently read this book that's called the art of insubordination, how to dissent and defy effectively. And man, if every acquisition personnel like in defense read that book, we would be in a, in a pretty good position. So yeah. And, and, and I've had people ask you, well, well, how do you push those boundaries and come out successful rather than, you know, poorly. Right. And I, and I've tried to communicate it in that way where it's, well, again, you got to push, you got to show them who you are, what you're about. You can't be, you know, prideful and arrogant. And I, and I've tried to describe that. And in this book, he calls it principled insubordination is what it needs is we don't need just insubordination, but principled insubordination. So how does that coexist? And I think that is the key. You have to adopt the right behaviors to make sure that that insubordination is effective and principled in order for it to work. Talk to me a little bit about some of the earliest people who told me, told you no, and, and how those relationships, you know, either grew or stay stagnant over time. Yeah, a couple, a couple of the first no's. So I'll say one of the first no's was one of the, the young officers who said, oh, I don't want to do the accelerator because my supervisor should stay away from it. Right. Fast forward, it was like six or 12 months. We were seeing success in the accelerator. And he jumped onto another program and he came back and he said, wow, I wish I was working on the accelerator because this other project I'm doing is just a waste of my time. I, I, I'm not, I don't have the ability to make any decisions or really lead or guide. It's not what I thought it was. So I think there was a realization there. I will say one of the senior leaders of the AFRL that said, not interested, got a, a you know, not much here. Several months later. And this, this is SES one, one star level. And several months later, I, I got a phone call, you know, at work and said, Lieutenant Singleton, I'm headed up to Silicon Valley. I think I get it. Do you have any recommendations on companies that I should go visit or work with? And here I was thinking, not only, you know, here's the senior folk, you know, talking to Lieutenant Singleton, asked for recommendations to visit, but it was the realization that they had switched in 180 and have, still have a great relationship with that person, open comms. Recently, we've been talking about ideas, future programs. And I would say that the work they're doing is different than the, what they were doing several years ago. And it, it felt good to be a part of that in the beginning. One of the, the biggest no's that I got, and we, we got to spend some time on this because it was when we were delivering this international pitch day. Super excited about this opportunity. We, we developed this strategy, which was We'd use an international agreement, take combined funding with the U S and the UK. We would execute it through UK procurement authorities 
to these, you know, on the spot contracts to international startups. You got an email and it was to Jake with 30 people on the CC lineup to the two-star level with the subject that said, quote, knock it off in the subject. The email referenced possible violations and to deficiency acts and violations in international law and treaties and said, halt all activity with this international space pitch day. I mean, that's the big, and this was from a lawyer at Secretary of the Air Force General Counsel. So the, this is the biggest no I could possibly imagine getting. Like, no, like, and, and halt means don't even question or come back and ask why. Fast forward, you know, that was March of 2020. Fast forward to November of 2020, we successfully executed the first International Space Pitch Day and had another email. It was from Dr. Roper addressed to this at Gaff and General Raymond with me on the CC line saying, you know, congratulations, we ran our first pitch day. It was a big success, super important. We want to do more of these in the future. That was pretty close in proximity from a, a knock it off no to a you did it. But you asked about some of these no's and well, the relationship. Well now, I'm super, now I'm super interested. <laughs> what the heck happened between the hard no and the the success? What changed? Oh, a a lot of right. So Pete Noel, you know him, right? He he says innovation is a gut wrenching battle, you know, full of bruises and, and inefficiencies. That's why it's disruptive. And I love that because sometimes we see the success. You know, that article published that says International Pitch Day, right? And people say, that's innovation, right? And I look back and I look at the six months work and preparation for that. That was the gut-wrenching battle of inefficiency with the questions and the, and the turning and cycling. And I think that is the innovation. And that's where we need people to understand when you're in that low point where you're being challenged, you are the innovator. You're the one that's going to make this program successful. And we need you. Because if you're not willing to fight those battles and persevere, it'll never happen. That's why it's disruptive. That, that, that's why it's so important. If it was easy to do, somebody would have already done it. You know, that's, that's what we're like. But what was the difference between knock it off and, you know, success? You know, it started off with about three months of weekly tag-ups with about a half a dozen attorneys answering all the questions, working through all the fine details, being that patient and principled you know, responder to answer questions and resolve everything. But that, that wasn't enough. We got through that and we still had some headbutting when we were pre preparing briefs for general, or sorry, Dr. Roper. And I was still at that point being challenged and being even told that the responses and the information I was providing at times was factually um, incorrect and whitewashed. And, and there were times that were really low for me where I was talking to people was like, I don't, I don't know what I can do. You know, I'm losing credibility when I'm doing everything I can to respond to questions, answer these things. And I'm being told from people with, you know, authority that I am dishonest, right? What, what do I do then? Luckily we have leadership that are supportive of hearing out the young captain or lieutenant. And I was able to provide that personal brief to, to Dr. Roper with all the answers and get that green light and yes to go. Again, communication of ch chain of command wouldn't have survived. The program wouldn't have survived that chain of command. It was that direct access to that leader that allowed to get through. So somebody told you no on general counsel and somehow that you just reached out to Dr. Roper and, and, and then pitched him. Well, so no, it, it, it wasn't a workaround. It was, I worked with those, those lawyers for the better of three or four months, but we had a, you know, a two-star working for Dr. Roper that, that said, okay, we've matured through a lot of these concerns that we've retired. Now we're ready to get the information for Dr. Roper. I will say, you know, you know, the knock it off and that, you know, that feedback I think the biggest success and highlight out of this, out of this experience was not Captain Singleton's grit, you know, in, in pushing and getting through. It was in the, in the end, this person that said, knock it off, halt all activity, 
whitewashed, you know, misrepresented facts here from Pam Singleton in the end was instrumental in getting our final sign-offs with some legal documentation that we needed from Dr. O'Brien, Ms. Lord, to meet our, our schedules. And then when we got that, e that success email where the program was complete, the same attorney emailed me same day and said, Hey, Jake, we're doing Australia next, you know, right? The next fish day, are you running point on that? Right? They were fully supportive in getting through those final hurdles, but they were an ally in moving forward into scaling and extending the programs. That to me was huge, right? Because, you know, I, I still have a good relationship with that person. We reach back and forth every once in a while with questions and ideas, opportunities, things like that. But to me, it, that's exciting, not to only that we can try new different crazy things, but people that have been doing this for so long, they can change their minds and they can become allies and supporting, you know, getting through some of these programs. Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely incredible. And so, uh, while you're going through those low points and you're innovating using your, you know, your definition of the word, does success seem eminent or what is the feeling during that time? It's. You, you never, you know, at least the first, the, the first few times, right? You can hope, but you, it, it doesn't feel like the success is imminent. You, you just hope, right? But if, if it's the right thing to do and, and you're passionate about it, then it doesn't matter, right? That is enough to push through. However, after you work through a couple of those low points and those just battles, which can take weeks and months, you know, I've come out of some of those feelings so exhausted that I think my naivety got me through it. And if I knew what I do now, I don't think I could do it again. Right? Yeah. And however, at the same time, when you see the success, that is the most rewarding thing. So when you approach that new battle with that new challenge, and this time you have, you know, a, someone from legal or lawyer saying, can't do it. Well, now, you know, I know this stopper. There are ways to, to get through. And I know what that success feels like. And that is, you know, that's the motivating thing. I will say that had I not been successful in, you know, the first couple of these battles, it would be really hard to continue to persevere and, and fight those battles. You know, some people talk about retaining talent and why people are separating and leaving. And do we need to give bonuses and stuff like that? And my personal opinion is I don't think so. If you empower me to lead change and I can see the success or fruits of that change, then that will motivate me to stay. And unfortunately, I think some of the folks that leave aren't leaving for better pay. At least, you know, some of the, the people that we want, I think they're leaving because they haven't been able to see and be a power to make those changes. And so they're going to look to where they can. So yeah, the, those, those low points, yeah, I, I, I can't describe the feeling of how, uh, struggling. when I was in the UK around this international project, I had to, I had to hang a punching bag in the garage because I get so frustrated sometimes that I just need to go like vent and, or run or something like that. I, working through, you know, another challenge when I was at AFRL, there was a, there was a guy there that controlled a, a process. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll just say it. It's the environmental process. And we were questioning whether this form needed to be staffed and signed for every contracting agreement that we ran. According to this person, yes. According to Captain Singleton and the research I did with some of the environmental attorneys and other offices, no. And in fact, at another base, they had already gotten rid of them. So I wanted to push through and get rid of those. But working with this guy, it got to the point where I stopped answering my phone because I thought the guy was going to be calling me to yell at me again for another half hour. And I closed my office door because I no kidding thought he was going to come pay me a visit. And it got exhausting, you know, working through that debate and we would have conversations and, and he would say, I thought you said you were going to drop it. And I, you know, I'd say, man, I would love even more than you to drop it and stop having these conversations. But you haven't explained to me why we have to do this. And just please humor me in the spirit of innovation here. Just explain why and I'll drop it. 
you know, because I'm not going to break any laws or rules. If there's a reason why, then we'll stop. And he would, and he would say like, ah, you know, we, we've wasted hours talking about this. If we would have just signed the form, then we'd already bought it. It would take you 10 seconds. And I said, but that's the, that's the problem, right? Again, innovation is not efficient. That's why it's disruptive. And I think part of the, the bureaucracy is not because we have some huge single problem that makes no sense. It's because we have thousands and millions of these little process things that it's just easier to do it than to question why. Because if I can just do it and move it on, it takes 10 seconds. But if I question why and that turns into this battle for a month, why, why would you spend the month, right? And, and that's where it kind of slowly becomes just so overwhelmingly big in and impossible is just because of all these tiny little things that is just easier to do than to question why. Yeah, I mean, luckily with that particular one, we did get that one through. And in fact, waived with an MFR, this requirement, not only at our director, but across AFRL. I haven't talked to that guy since, but <laughs> well, well, that, that is one relationship that hasn't been maintained and he so, probably appreciates it. <laughs> I don't think he wants to talk to me anymore. So, so talking about the why, you know, let's, let's talk about the impact. You know, you, you push through several instances of months long battles. Talk to me about some of the impact that you've created. Yeah, some of the impact, I mean, the accelerator program, when it was first a pilot that nobody was interested in, inside of a couple of years, we scaled that out of a pilot into a, a formal program, at the Space Vehicles Directorate, that was running in Albuquerque, Colorado Springs, and LA, turning around multiple cohorts companies a year. The very first pilot, you know, we had three companies of interest come through there. And I remember the engineers reviewing it and again, say nothing here, let's move on. Accelerator's a failure. We funded three of those companies with a small dollar other transaction agreement. In fact, the first time I heard insubordinate was uh, the Colonel at the time referred to me as an insubordinate Lieutenant because I took initiative with some of his funding and, and made those OTA awards that he was expecting to use that money elsewhere. <laughs> However, one of those companies is now flying satellites in space and the Air Force through Air Force Ventures matched their Series A to, to help them as a company scale. A huge, a huge success there when there was nothing, right? Another one of those companies has transitioned at higher classification levels, software solutions to our space operations environments. Um, again, another one that people in the beginning said nothing, nothing there. So we've already seen operational impacts and mission value coming out of emerging startups that were developing technologies that the Air Force wasn't aware of. And, and we've seen a lot more of those companies through accelerator programs. So I have all the numbers, but tons of, you know, tons of new companies working with defense that weren't before. I would say, you know, between accelerators, pitch days, and programs like these, that we've really seen the transformative changes in just the last three years to seeing the Air Force as, you know, one of those customers of choice for this emerging marketplace, which was completely different a few years ago. And I'm excited to, to see those change. Aside from the accelerators, you know, talking about pitch days and Air Force Ventures, that started as a pilot that I was involved with, where we briefed General Polakowski, the AFMC commander on this concept of the accelerators, how it was really leveraging industry best practices. And she said, Hey, we've got this big cyber fund that's not really transitioning a lot of success. Could we merge and leverage some of the, the principles and values from industry to make that more effective? Assigned $11 million out of that cyber budget the first year to do a special topic, which then turned into 40 million and a couple topics that we put through and now the cyber budget has really been transformed in the way they spend those dollars to mirror an Air Force Ventures model that really has embraced industry best practices and how you invest in emerging technology. So I see that as Air Force, you know, level transformative change on how we spend money and do business. Uh, that's really exciting to me to be able to see that kind of change. 
from an international perspective, being able to do that in step with allies where we take a shared challenge and then we engage the global marketplace together. To me, that's huge, right? Because we, we're all very comfortable with this new environment where it, it's been several decades in the making where we've seen in the making where we've seen this kind of growing gap between the traditional primes and the, the private sector producing technology, right? But there's a new gap that's emerging just in the last three years. And this is a really exciting gap to me. It says as of about the 2018 timeframe, for the first time in history, the majority of new investors investing in space technologies were non-US investors, with the majority of those deals going to non-US companies. Wow. And that is the first, and that is a growing gap. And when we have no ability or strategy to engage that global marketplace, non-traditional companies. Now, you know, we think of Elon Musk and Starlink and SpaceX and things like that on the, on the headlines, but a price tech report in the 2019 showed that there were currently close to 200 companies in over 30 countries actively raising capital for new satellite constellations. So that international, so the impacts to me, some of these changes, they're ensuring that we're relevant in the future when the future is a global marketplace of emerging space technology. And so, you know, fighting those and being able to demonstrate strategies where we're actually able to reach some of those technologies, that, that's, that's really exciting to, to be able to see those impacts. And that's all about changing the way we do business to be relevant, right? I see more risk today, not in the technologies that we're acquiring, there's no shortage of brilliant engineers and entrepreneurs in our country around the world to produce the technology we need for the mission. I see more of the risk being in the way that we do business. And that's where all of my energy has been in the last few years. And impact is what we're changing the way we do business. And that is exciting because, you know, I, I've talked to friends who have gotten out of the service and they're like, wow, I can't believe these kind of changes are happening. If they had, I would have stayed, right? But they separated because, you know, a few years ago, some of these changes seemed to be impossible. People with great ideas were told, not interested, right? So I think a credit to our leadership to allow some of us, you know, insubordinates to, to challenge ideas and actually successfully stand up and create new, new opportunities. That's awesome. So I got two last questions for you. You know, the, the first one, what advice do you have for the audience? as they might be going through some of their sort of low points, you know, you know, maybe potentially advice to yourself when you're, you're going through that, that struggle, that, that grind, especially in those instances when you maybe haven't gone through it before. Yeah. So I would, you know, if I could run into myself, you know, sitting at my desk five years ago with my head down, just struggling, I would, I would you know, grab myself and just tell them, you know, the future is brighter than you can imagine, you know, keep pushing, you know, we need people to fight those battles. And if you, if you feel like you're struggling through those battles, it, it means you're doing something right. You know, so I think some people might feel, hit the resistance and they think, oh, I went down the wrong path. I did something wrong. So I need to fix it. But I think just validating when they're at those low points and they're struggling and fighting those battles just to validate them that not only are you doing something right, you're doing something that's necessary and that not a lot of people are willing to do. So fight, fight the battle. And then, you know, have fun in the future where you're talking to people on podcasts and others, you know, telling about the time when you got yelled at, slapped on the wrist or the phone call from the take off office or the knock it off email, right? Embrace those, hang them on your wall, right? I have a, I have a vulnerability folder and, and there are times where I felt vulnerable and I've got emails. I've got experiences where I remember those and I save them because it's required. You, you need to feel vulnerable. You need to feel challenged yet. You, you need to be told you're wrong. And again, if you are not, well, you're not doing something, you're not doing it right. We need people to push those boundaries. The other thing that I would say is, you know, validate the push, 
the insubordination, dissent, be creative, challenge people. That's what our leadership want. But a lot of people don't know how, right? I hear all the time, push, 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 you know, persevere, make me tap you from behind. And then I hear young officers, you know, civilians, you know, acquirers that say, how, tell me how, how can I do that? Because we don't disagree. In fact, we're coming out of universities and industry and we think you guys are all crazy for the way you do business. So you don't need to tell us to, to be different. We want to be different, but when we do, we get punched in the face. So what is, so what do we do, right? You got to do it in a principled way. You got to understand the behaviors that are going to allow you to be effective. I, I feel like I've shared a few of those through my own experiences. I will reference that book again, The Art of Insubordination, because as I've listened to that uh, book, I have identified the practical, tangible behaviors that have allowed me to be successful, like that idea of principled insubordination. And, and he, as a psychologist, outlines these behaviors and things that you can do. And I, and I've picked them out and I thought, man, th these are it, right? So learning, I think this is a message for, for junior folks and senior folks, right? Our senior folks are saying, do it, be different, dissent, you know, challenge. Our junior folks are saying how, and there's a gap here. We need to instruct both in defense outside a culture and community of people that know how and what those behaviors are so that they can effectively do that inside their organizations. And I think that'll be a, you know, a focus of mine in the future is how do we, how do we bring those actual practical behaviors to people so that they can actually apply them? Well, you know, the last thing I'll say here, you know, is when I was going through that challenge with that guy at AFRL who was like, no kidding, like yelling at me on the phone every day, telling me to knock it off, to drop it. Um, we had a, a our two-star commander visit for an all-car call from AFRL. And I remember sitting there in the audience and he, he spent five or 10 minutes of the all-call telling us to do this, right? And he, and I remember the chart that he had up and it had a maze that had an arrow breaking through all the walls. And he was saying things like bus bureaucracy, push challenge, all the right words, right? And I asked him, I said, sir, the message is clear. We hear it. We agree. We want to do it. What happens? What is your advice when we get pepper spray in the face? And, that's, and that was me at the time, having just come to the old call from a phone call where I was getting pepper sprayed, right? Like, what do we do? And I remember this general just saying, just keep pushing, just keep going. And I thought that was, that was only valuable and for one reason. And that is because everybody in the directorate had just heard the two-star tell Lieutenant Singleton to keep going. So now I can go back to the environmental guy and say, Hey, I'm back. Right. The general told me to, right. He told me not to stop, but I was disappointed in the fact that he had no practical advice and how to navigate that when that is the real challenge is when you're pushing, you get punched in the face, what do you do? You know, even, even today in the program I'm in, you know, I'm in a position where we have schedule risk and I'm asking to go faster and push. And it's uncomfortable because when somebody, when you tell somebody you need to go faster, it, you have a risk of offending them because then their response is, do you think I'm not going fast? Do you think I'm not prioritizing this? So how do you, how do you ask and advocate and push for different or faster when you, everywhere you, you risk offending, pushing and not in doing that without alienating them, but turning them into an ally that's going to support you, man, that's, that's the challenge. So my recommendation is validate when you're in that low point and you're finding the battle, you're doing the right thing and we need you there. Keep pushing. The future is bright. And then for our, our, our leaders, energy requires, you need to learn, identify, learn, and embrace the right behaviors that are going to allow you to effectively do that. For me at the moment, I found them better than I've ever seen 
written down on paper in this book. And I've been able to see them as, you know, some of the pieces of what have been, allowed me to be effective and successful. And I'm excited about, you know, sharing that with as many people as I can so that people have the tools and they can go be successful, you know, fight those battles. That's awesome. So, so last question for you, you, you know, we've had the honor of having you be one of our first guests on the show. And so the last question that, that I want to ask you is, is why should people keep listening? Yeah. I, why should people keep listening? Well, my hope is, and from what I've seen in the, in the few podcasts already is that you have brought in people that are, you know, some of those like-minded innovators, mission focused, willing to embrace change, push back, defy, and they've been successful. So I, I believe, right, that people should continue listening because they're going to hear more that are part of the same community, working through the same challenges and are able to, are going to be able to share insights that are going to help them be successful, right. In their own journey. Now we're early, right? So that's, yeah, that's your challenge, Rob, is you got to bring in the right people so that I'm not lying to everybody right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you so much, Jake. You know, he's a very humble person, but organizations like AFWorks and AFVentures wouldn't have hit the success or scale that they have without the work that Jake did put in the accelerator programs, the pitch day programs. There's an entire ecosystem built off of some of the hard times that that Jake as an individual now, given a lot of those organizations were obviously, you know, built off of teams, but, but he was truly one of the people who pushed through some very, very, very critical points to those programs. And, you know, we've touched on it before. It always looks as if success is an inevitable when success is here, but when you're going through it, it doesn't always feel that way. And so, you know, Jake, thank you for your service. Thank you for joining us on the show. And, and uh, most, most importantly, I look forward to being entertained as you continue to be insubordinate. Yeah, I appreciate it, Rob. And thank you as well for, you know, hosting this podcast. And again, you're a, an early mentor of mine that helped me learn that, you know, that I could challenge, I could get in trouble and I could survive. So thanks for inviting me on and glad to have that discussion with you in particular, you know, above anybody else. Well, thanks. This uh, wraps up this episode and uh, we, we hope you stick with us and, and stay tuned for the next podcast. All right. Thanks, Rob. Bye. This is your host, Rob Slaughter. Thanks for listening to Defense Unicorns, a podcast. We have amazing guests coming the next couple of episodes. So subscribe now so you get notified when we release new content.